listening to Opening Doors to Hope and Belonging from DePaul Community Resources. This is episode three of season two. I'm your host, Allison Wickline. Thanks for joining us as we learn and grow together. When we started this podcast journey, we wanted to share powerful stories from inside and outside the walls of DePaul. Today, we are stepping outside the walls. In our season one wrap-up episode, I listed some ways to get involved and help the populations we love and serve. One of those ways I mentioned was to become a CASA or Court-Appointed Special Advocates for Children volunteer. The work CASA does is important and impactful, and I'm so excited to share a bit about the program in this episode. Joining me is Katie Van Patten, the CASA Program Director for the Roanoke Valley. Katie, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Tell me a little bit about the CASA program and what it means to be a CASA volunteer. The CASA program has an interesting and rich heritage. It's a national program that was started in 1977, and the state of Virginia embraced it, and we have CASAs all over the state of Virginia. But a CASA volunteer is trained. Um, and then they work for the judge. They are appointed by the court. The court um, makes referrals to children that are uh, victims um, that suffer from abuse and neglect. The advocate is a voice for those children. They do a report and investigation and work with that family and child or children for approximately a year and make recommendations to what's in the best interest of the child. So the advocate is right there, observing everything that's going on, and then you are the eyes and ears for the court, among other professionals involved, but you are directly responsible to report that information to the court so the court can make the best decision for that child and family. What are some examples of responsibilities or things that a CASA volunteer would do in that span of time? Once a CASA volunteer has um, agreed to take a case, they will always have a supervisor. So the, the good news is that they have that um, support throughout the life of the case. But the responsibilities would be to meet with the child or children at a minimum of once a month. They can meet with them in the foster home. Most of our children are in foster homes. Some are with family. Uh, they can meet with them at the Department of Social Services when they have a visit with a parent. Um, Sometimes they meet with them in in the school or the daycare. So the settings vary, but at a minimum, you would need to see your children once a month. Many CASAs see them more often as whatever the case dictates at the time. You are responsible for working directly with other partnerships. So you're going to have constant um, conversations with the Department of Social Services, therapists, teachers, daycare, pediatricians, therapeutic foster care workers, um, when whoever is involved in that case, you would have contact with. And it, it, the interesting part about the work is no two cases are the same. So every case is a little different. The needs of the children are different. The needs of the parents are different. The course the case takes always is, is interesting. So you're constantly collecting information. That's, that's the ongoing because you want to be able to make a report to the court and you wanna be able to document the recommendations are based on the information that you've gotten. Now, along the way, there's meetings and discussions that you can be part of. We meet um, frequently with the Department of Social Services, particularly if there's a problem in a case, then we try to problem solve. 
but that is the major responsibility is to be there, get to know everybody in the family, get to know all the information, either by email or by direct conversation, and then pull it all together for a report that is submitted to the court at each review of their foster care hearing. And you mentioned that a CASA volunteer would have a choice as far as which case they move forward with. We have many volunteers, and when a volunteer does a case, they're called by their supervisor and the case is proposed to them, and there's sort of, I think, two issues. Is this a good time for you to start a new case, And depending on what is going on? So as a volunteer, you're not obligated to take a case. If you have some other pressing need, you say, I'll take the next case or the next, you know, pass over me. So you have that flexibility. And um, the second piece of that is some CASAs, uh, and we have long discussions about this, prefer not to take certain cases. Some CASAs are not comfortable working with the child that has been sexually abused, for example. Now, some CASAs just prefer teenagers. Some CASAs prefer small children. So there's other, you know, components of what they like to do. But we don't. We want to make sure that it's a good fit with the CASA, the, the basics of the case, the kind of case, what's involved in the case, and the timing of the case. So they have that opportunity. Once they're trained, then they become an active CASA, and then we would contact them as cases became available and give them the option. So you mentioned training. What is the process like to become a volunteer, and what requirements do you have to meet to be considered? When somebody is interested in CASA, we um, have an application on our website and they fill that out and submit it. That's the paperwork component. We provide training twice a year in the spring and in the fall. We do it in the evening. We do it one night a week. So most that's not too time consuming. And we've been doing it virtually the last um, two sessions because clearly that's um related to the COVID risk. We used to do it in a classroom. Hopefully we will do it in a classroom again. But right now it's done by Zoom once a week and it's for eight weeks. And then the material that is covered in the training is all dictated by National CASA. It's a lot of um, explanation of how foster care works, the kinds of problems you run into, clinical issues. We have presenters in the class from the Department of Social Service attorney, a senior DSS social service worker. So we have people in the system present to the CASAs as well as just the learning component. They have to pass a background check that shows they don't have a criminal conviction that would preclude their involvement. They also have to have a background check to show that they don't have a founded child protective service complaint. So those are the two criteria. And once the background is completed and the training is completed. There's a hearing with the judge where they are sworn in by the judge. And that's the final step in the process. Could you give listeners an idea of the effect that this work can have? I, yes, I think that it, um, I think it's a wonderful volunteer opportunity. And people have repeatedly said that to me because they're hands-on involved. So many people are looking for a volunteer activity and they're they're certainly on board with whatever particular agency's mission statement is. But when they become a volunteer, they're frequently working for the administrative part of the agency, not the actual clients of the agency. So this gives them a firsthand 
firsthand involvement with a family. And with that, it can be, there's ups and downs and, and it can be stressful because it is a true family in crisis, obviously, and, and we hope for the best. But to the Department of Social Services is involved, other agencies are involved, there's a guardian ad litem involved, there's all these professionals involved. So some might say, well, then why do you need a CASA? The difference is the CASA has one and only one case. That family, that arrangement is all they're thinking about. As we know, unfortunately, other agencies are strapped and they have multiple cases and they're they're dealing with more uh, children than, than they have time to and then they're constantly doing crisis. You have the luxury of being there and listening and getting information that probably no one else in the system could actually get. It's just not possible. But to be a CASA and be involved and be able to report to the court, and I, I think that CASAs always feel a true sense of, of accomplishment when something in their report makes a difference in the case. It, it just is that it may not be that it's a marked difference in the outcome, but along the way, you may even be on making the same recommendation as the attorney or the department, but you have the supporting information. You have the conversation with what the child said. You have the documents with what's going on at school. So you're really able to make that um, recommendation in such a way that it's supported. And that is so important because the other professionals involved frequently have a short one sentence comment He's not doing well in school. And then you've gone and talked to the teacher and we've tried to figure out, is it that he needs um, academic help? Is there problems at home that makes it so he can't go to school? You know, all of the things and you get involved. And when you make a difference in the final outcome or even along the way in how a child does and you see a child get the services they need and just blossom, they just they go from perhaps being nonverbal to talking or they're guarded and all of a sudden they're running and playing and laughing, or they put on 10 pounds because that's what needed to happen. And we've seen families, we've seen uh, biological parents with the assistance you know, of various agencies come into their own and blossom and then have wonderful visits with their children. And so regardless of which way the case goes, whether it's reunification with the family or some other arrangement, you have a part in the best interest of the child. And that I think is so rewarding for all of us that work in the system, but certainly that's what I hear the most from my CASA advocates. Why would you encourage someone to consider becoming a CASA volunteer? What do you tell people if they call and they're interested or they have questions? The reward is so phenomenal for someone that wants to volunteer their time. And yes, there's time involved. And we have many CASAs that are employed full time and are still able to, to volunteer. So it's not that you have to be, you know, retired and have this be the only thing you do. Certainly you can do it in conjunction with other things. Certainly we do have retired people as well who enjoy doing it. And we've had CASAs that have done it for over 20 years. Um, so it, it obviously they like it. I think that being involved and making a difference and have someone listen to what you say and to know that you have a direct impact on that child or those children, that's the reward. That's the most important reward. So for the people that are interested in this, um, this group of children or children at risk, this is one of the fewer, not only one, but fewer volunteer mechanisms where you can get directly involved. 
you know, many people say I've been involved with a variety of agencies and I do fundraising and, you know, we tried to, to um, provide services and, and finances, but I never see the face of a child that's been removed um, and that I've helped come to a better situation. And so when they're reunified, that's, and that goes well, that's a wonderful feeling. We have some that are adopted and our CASAs love to go to the adoption ceremony. And, you know, we get, we get hugs and we get pictures, but to know that you made a difference, you made a difference um, in a child, I think is the single biggest reward. So mostly when I talk to potential CASAs, it's that if that's what they're looking for, in a, in a volunteer activity, we have that to offer, which is somewhat unique. So if one of our listeners is interested in becoming a CASA volunteer, or at least asking questions about it, what should their next step be? Children Trust of the Roanoke Valley, which is the larger agency that houses CASA and some other children advocacy programs, um, on the website, there is an application for CASA, and if you download it and just type in the basic information and submit it, then I would contact them directly. And frequently we talk about the different questions. The biggest questions are usually when are the classes and how long are the classes and what's the time um, obligation for the training and or what's the time obligation once I accept a case. So those are the two biggest things, which I've alluded to, but I can repeat those again and tell them our next training should start in March. Um, that's our goal right now, perhaps the second week of March. And then we would like to have that class sworn in by May. So that's where we are. And then we would do it again in the fall. So if you're not able to do it this spring for some other family obligation or work obligation, that's okay, but you could keep, you could still send in the application, but tell us you're interested in a fall class, for example. And we will be sure to put your website and other important information on our website page for the podcast to make sure that people can directly find that information and, and go visit you guys. Um, and that web address is depaulcr.org slash opening doors podcast. Thank you, Katie, so much for being here and for introducing us to a new way to volunteer and give back and help kids in need. Well, I can't thank you enough for this opportunity. I um, appreciate that because we certainly know there's lots of our wonderful volunteers have come from all different intersections of our life. And we certainly enjoy working with DePaul daily in all of our cases, particularly in the therapeutic foster home situation. So we appreciate everything that you do, both to help with these children having the best outcomes as an agency and our relationship with all the CASAs is wonderful. So thank you for that. And thank you for having us here to try to spread the word so that anyone who is even thinking, you can call even if you're just thinking about it and you want to explore it some more. You don't have to be you don't have to fill out the application and be committed. I'll be talking with you at any length with any questions you might have. But I thank you for this opportunity so much. Thank you. Opening Doors to Hope and Belonging is hosted by DePaul Community Resources, a nonprofit organization. Since 1977, DePaul has opened doors to hope and belonging for countless children, families, and individuals with disabilities across Central and Southwest Virginia. To learn more about DePaul and the topics discussed here, please visit depaulcr.org 
slash openingdoorspodcast.